Stay refreshed with Taste Salud, the ultimate hydration experience. Dive into the world of Agua Frescas, designed to elevate your day, boost your energy, stay hydrated, and unwind with Salud's on-the-go stick packets, each with just one gram of sugar. Exclusive for our listeners, enjoy a 10% discount on your first order with code TASTE10 at checkout. Visit tastesalud.com for the full selection. Taste the difference with Taste Salud. Cheers to health. The octagonal CONCACAF qualifying is well underway. Only one team perfect. That's Mexico. After the opening day of matches, U.S. picked up a crucial away draw. Everyone else drew except for Jamaica. They lost. And uh, this is the K-Golasso pod. I've got Jimmy Conrad here with me, my co-pilot on all things CONCACAF. And we've got a special dress. Uh, we got a special guest in Drake Cordero. And he's going to be with us to talk about the U.S. versus Canada. He's also going to recap some of the U.S. against El Salvador. He was on the call with Marisa Du. And then later on, we've got Wiso Vasquez, who's going to hop on to talk about El Tree. Kegelasso Pod begins right now. All right, everyone. If you're watching this live on YouTube, be part of the conversation. Drop your thoughts in, your takes and questions. We'll get them into the comment section. And if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, do us a solid and leave Kegelasso a rating and a review. It takes just a few seconds but it helps us continue to make free episodes like this and helps us get found, get higher up into the rankings. More people like it, more people engage. The better we can make this thing for you guys. So, um, yeah, make sure you do that. Uh, Jimmy, what's going Hi. on, man? You know what? I was a little disappointed in my lack of flair for all you Office Space fans out there for, for, for match day one in the U.S. So I decided to overdo it. I've got my U.S. glasses, my U.S. soccer visor, and I'm wearing the very uh, special edition, limited edition, U.S. jersey that uh, I wore during our game against Latvia before we headed to the 2006 World Cup. There's only, I think, only one of these that's been made. So I'm trying to bring all my positive vibes, and I feel like if you're into superstitions, I might have let the team down because I wasn't as hyped, at least in, in terms of what I'm wearing ahead of the El Salvador game. That's fair. That's fair. And for and, and and for anybody who's watching now or listening, we are doing the preview for the U.S. versus Canada, as well as previewing some of the other matches or all the other matches that are happening uh, in this next round. Dre Cordero, what is going on, man? Hey, before you say anything, I gotta say you're caught in a crossfire on the pregame show talking about sneakers, and I was worried about you for a second there. But how you doing? I'm great, and you know, disrespectful, really, because I should have been part of that sneaker segment. Uh, my game was on. <laughs> I think I'm just gonna storm the set next time. Uh, and, and the audacity to ask me to put my legs up on the table so I could show them on air. I mean, come, we got manners around here. You know, we were raised better than that. Yeah. Hey, listen, normalize, normalize sneaker culture or foot culture. But I, I, I do have to admit, we are going over the top. I see almost everywhere now. Everybody's throwing the sneakers on the table. And I respect you for uh, yeah. keeping, keeping those. Uh, what, what did you actually have on, though? Just, just uh, easy. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, oh, yeah. nice. You were right here. Okay. By the way, I like I like the little rivalry that um, that Jimmy Conrad is trying to start right now with the uh, sunglass game. Um, I know this is not exclusively a visual media. Some are listening on the podcast, but the uh, Clint Dempsey Jimmy Conrad uh, sunglass. Rivalry I'd like to say team. I was here first, Dre, but it's okay if, if Clint wants to. Uh, actually, by about eight years, but uh, you know, if Clint wants to start to take over Fair. some of that, uh, I get it. You know, he, he's there's only. I will say with regard to Clint Dempsey, he definitely can wear a pair of sunglasses. Like he, 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 yeah. he, he adds that swag, you know, and maybe that's something I lack, but, but you know, that's why Clint is a, was a special player. And that's why I think he's doing great behind the desk. Hey, that's fair, Jimmy. Uh, Dre, I'm going to start with you just because you are a special guest, uh, our knight in shining armor, so to speak. Hey, what was your thoughts? What were your takeaways from the U S versus El Salvador? You were obviously on the call there. What was it like to call a game like that? And um, yeah, what were your initial takeaways from that game? Yeah, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. Not as fun as some other games that are a little bit more coherent, a little bit more flowing. Uh, those are, nobody's going to sort of shed tears for commentators, but those are very difficult games to get through when, when they're broken up uh, the way they are, when, when there aren't these like clear, you know, pretty patterns of play that allow you to get into a real groove. Um, and I thought for spells, it was El Salvador actually who had the, the, the better style, the prettier football, without much of an end product, if we're honest, because Matt Turner essentially went to San Salvador on vacation. Uh, I think he was tested really once and it was a fairly comfortable save to his left. The U.S. created probably a little bit more danger, but I, I was impressed with the way El Salvador fed off the crowd and 
after still about 10, 15 minutes in the first half, really took over the game, and you had the U.S. sort of chasing it um, for much of that that first opening uh, 45 minutes. So it wasn't the most enjoyable game, I don't think, probably for the players to play uh, in a hostile environment for so many of them, their first World Cup qualifier to play away from home in a packed stadium, especially after there's all this enthusiasm about not just the U.S. and, and their generation, but El Salvador and what Hugo Perez has done with them. And so obviously uh, they opened the doors about nine hours before kickoff. Fans have been trickling in all day, and it was going to be a difficult environment um, for the Americans. I think for the most part, they responded well, not in, in style, but in substance, right? Because they, they weren't really threatened in attack much. Um, the possession was split fairly evenly. I, I do sort of take a little bit of exception, exception to the idea that the U.S. deserved to win that game or, or had to win that game because they had three or four chances on headers. Um, I guess we can get into that a little bit more. Uh, but I thought it was probably a very fair result in the end to get that score to strong. Jimmy, yes. do you think that this, uh, the result there changes? You know, I, I've been reading a lot about how much more important this U.S. versus Canada game is than it was a few days ago. Do you think that's any different, or do you think that's just sort of playing up uh, the importance of this, and this is always going to be a must-win? It was always going to be a must-win, to your point, Heath. I will say, though, that because Canada disappointed at home, let's be honest, this team had a lot of hype coming into this. I thought they had a really good Gold Cup run. They deserve more from their game against us in the group stages. They definitely deserve more in their game against Mexico and the semifinals as well. They had some talent. Now, that was without some of their star players. You bring in Jonathan David, you bring in Alfonso Davies, you added all these other pieces, and Kyle Aarons just scored. You know, you got some confidence with some of their guys as well. And they underwhelmed. And, and now I feel like there's a more emphasis from Canada's perspective and ours to, to show up and play and make it a game that that's going to have that juice on it. And, and it's going to, there's just no way around it. Either one of these country loses, uh, then, then there it's not, not nothing. I mean, there's so many games now, right? We went from, from six to eight teams. So there's a lot of, a lot of time to get points, but you don't want to start your world cup qualifying sputtering, especially Canada, because from their perspective, they haven't qualified for a world cup since 86. They haven't been in this last phase in forever. And they, have like they're trying to get their fans behind them a little bit they're trying to build that hype and there's there's reason to be excited about canada and we have the same thing it's almost we have some parallels going behind both and i think that's why a lot of fans were disappointed and i think we were disappointed too in the zero zero result because we know our players can play better and yet they didn't you know and they didn't solve problems quickly and to to, to dre's point there was substance for sure we saw and i think this is a, a straight line through what greg berhalter has put into the team they're learning how not to lose. They don't know how to lose, which is great. But there's some times where we need to be able to solve problems in different ways. And I think the biggest point of emphasis was who was out there to put the, their foot on the ball, slow things down, catch our breath. And let's just start to play, baby. Let's get out there. Let's have some fun. It's a World Cup qualifier, you know. And, and I think we lacked a little bit of that. But hopefully we see it against Canada because uh, we're going to need it. They're going to come at us. They just saw what El Salvador did well and are probably going to try to uh, use the same type of tactics, I think, as well as what they learned through the Gold Cup and the time they beat us in 2019 for the first time since 1985, right? So they have all this, these bits of information where I think they could, they could take it to us. So we have to be sharp, and that's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a big game. I can tell Jimmy was good at history class, right? You, you, you aced all your history classes. I can never remember the dates. Like, that's where I always fail the test. Like, but you got 85, you got 97 the last time they, they, they reached the stage. I'm impressed. Jimmy has a bunch of almanacs uh, open <laughs> where you can't. That's he's moving his eyes and reading down these books. That's right why now, I wore so. the sunglasses, <laughs> baby. Uh, Dre, you talked about the difficulties of, of 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 calling a match like that, right? Where you don't get into a rhythm, you're almost having to just call what you see, and you can't get into some of the things. And I know what it's like for a play-by-play -play guy. You do so much research research to be able to entertain the crowd and guide them on this journey. How much does that, you know, and I thought Canada struggled uh, a bit as well to get into that same rhythm, except at home. Between the U.S. And, and Canada, who do you think is in more danger? And can we say someone's in danger? I think that may be a, a negative connotation after one game because they play so many matches in the octagonal. But which one of these teams do you think needs to get into a rhythm first in, in this match? So no, no alarm bells yet, I don't think, for either Canada or the U.S. Um, clearly, the U.S. in a better position because picking up a point away from home is significantly better than uh, being held to a point at home. I think if you look at the, the teams that are probably happiest after this first round, you look at El Salvador, you look at Honduras for getting a result away from home, and Mexico for having won. Although I think 
even there's some real criticism um, about Mexico, despite picking up three points in the opener. Um, and so for the U.S. going back home, having gotten that experience, I think uh, Burhalter talked about it as uh, a, a learning experience for these guys, but what, what they have to improve on. And I think in that sense, the schedule lines up nicely for them, right? Because you go out and you face that difficulty of San Salvador to Cuscatlan, and then you come to friendlier confines to take on a Canadian team where the U.S. should carry the initiative. I don't, I don't think you're going to see that same 50-50 split um, of possession. I, I, I think if things go well for the United States, the game that at home anyway, they're going to want to dominate. And so I find the U.S. in a much better position going into game two than Canada. But it is fairly early. It's a longer process, as Jimmy was alluding to now, with the hexagonal as opposed to being hexagonal. And so maybe in a sense a little more forgiving if you don't get off to, to the perfect start. Um, but, but you have to win at home. I, I know that it becomes almost a, a, a meme and, and it's a little bit um, sports pukey at this point. But in World Cup qualifying, you are obligated to win at home. And so all this talk about whether, you know, depending on the result in El Salvador, does that mean the Canada game is now a must win? All home games are going to be must win mm -hmm, for the United mm -hmm. States, including when they host Mexico. Jimmy, I mentioned this on the on the recap pod that uh, one of the things that Honduras did well was was actually start to neutralize Tejan Buchanan by just bringing another guy over and saying, hey, uh -huh. there's nowhere to go left. There's nowhere to go right. Force him to go sort of sideways or backwards. Who are the who are the dangerous players for Canada, and 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 do you think the U.S. should be pre prepping to sort of adjust to some of the the strengths of Canada, or is this a home game they should be implementing uh, their style of play against Canada? That's a great great question. I'm going to say with regard to, and I'm going to bring in some of Dre's things about possession. The last time we played against Canada in the Gold Cup, they outpossessed us and they outshot us. They had 55% possession. I know that's splitting hairs here, but they still had a little bit more. And we only had one shot on target, and we scored in the first 20 seconds, the fastest Gold Cup goal Shaq Moore uh, ever. And then after that point, maybe because we scored so early, it gave us the, the we didn't have to go, you know, make the game. We already had the early lead, and maybe we just absorbed a little bit more. But I was really impressed with Canada that game. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how this is going to go. So to your point, Heath, I, I don't know what the right play here is, other than there's one matchup I'm really excited about. And it's really about whether we play three center backs and have two wing backs. And if we do that, I think we'll match. We won't completely match Canada because I'm curious to see what they come out with as well. I think there's going to be some tinkering on both sides. But we could possibly see Serginho Dest versus Alfonso Davies. And I'm trying to decide in my head who, who actually is, has the advantage here. Are they going to cancel each other out? Because Alfonso Al Davies defends, though. Alfonso he, Davies defends. That's true. That's true. And, and, and there's a lot of – I saw a lot of criticism of Serginho Dest for after that El Salvador game. But let's be honest. If you're not going to put your, one of your best players on the right side in his best spot and you're going to make him suffer at the left side, but we knew he struggled against Mexico in the Nations League final playing that same exact spot, I don't know what the big surprise is. And I don't think that Greg Berhalter did him any favors. So, so to your point, I think if we have a lineup that has three center backs, and at the moment I've got Brooks in the middle, I'll go with Tim Ream because I think you can. he doesn't get isolated so much when there's a back three and there's a wing back in front of him. I'll, have, I'll, I'll stay with Miles Robinson. As much as I want to see Mark McKenzie in there, to your point on the last pod, he just hasn't played a lot. And then I'll probably go with Anthony Robinson. I thought we looked better, and Drake can speak about this as well, when we had a left-sided player on the left side of the field and not two righties. And we just looked like we were a little bit more balanced. I kind of like that. Then you have Tyler Adams sitting in front of that back three, and I think you neutralize entry passes into Jonathan David, into Kyle Laren. you got three center backs tackling those two. You're going to have to put a lot of emphasis on Anthony Robinson to to slow him down. Alfonso Davies on the other side. And then Tyler Adams is going to have to be extremely thoughtful in terms of when he gets pulled out of the center to help help cover for those guys that might be getting beat. Because at some point, I want Serginho Dest to hold Alfonso Davies accountable. I want him to take some risk and go forward and see what Alfonso Davies does in return. I want him to react. And, and if we can pin Alfonso Davies back so he can pick the, picks the ball up, a little bit deeper that only uh, bodes well for us so yeah there's a lot to unpack here in terms of tactics i was hoping we get into Drake cordero's uh, tactic board behind us he's got a lot of pieces over there but uh that's kind of what i was thinking with regard to balance is just putting guys in their best spots and, and i think we will go with three center backs in this one so even without uh to be even without um going to three center backs there was that improvement it wasn't just um anthony robinson coming in but the, the, the triple substitution in the 64th minute mm -hmm. um when you saw costa uh, pfock 
and um, and Anthony Robinson come in. And yes, obviously that gave you like a proper left back as opposed to makeshift one in Serginho Dest. Um, but it also gave you a proper central midfielder in Acosta, one who is accustomed to being that sort of second wave of attack arriving in the box. In fact, he had probably the best chance to score for the U.S. was off the head of Acosta, and it forced maybe the biggest save that El Salvador made uh, the entire game. And then Pifok, who maybe isn't as as apt um, off the ball, defensively pressing the, the opposition's back line as, as Sargent is, but maybe for the U.S. has proven to be more of a threat, especially in the air, which is, if we're honest, where the U.S. are getting the majority of their goals, either the Nations League and the uh, Gold Cup final. Uh, and, and in this one, they're, they're all four of their real serious threats came in the air. And so I think that triple substitution, even keeping more or less the same shape that they started the game with, uh, just turned around and for the last 15 minutes or so. The U.S. were significantly better against El Salvador than they had been before that. And that to me like raises a really good question because I mentioned the happier teams would have been, for example, El Salvador, um, Mexico for getting the three points. These are managers that said, you know, forget the fact that it's uh, a three-game window. I'm, I, they took the opposite approach to Greg Berhalter, who's, who's really concerned with the legs um, and wants to, to, to rotate as much as possible, to make as many players feel important as possible. That's at the, It's a good idea. It's a good strategy. We'll see if it works out. But that's at the expense of the kind of chemistry that we saw El Salvador play with. And El Salvador, through the course of the Gold Cup, really going back to April, when Hugo Perez started his job, have had a very consistent core um, in their 11. And you can see that familiarity, which was very obviously missing from the United States. Dre, let me ask you this then. Going back to that U.S. roster against El Salvador, were there any shock uh, starters that you were like, oh, wow, I can't believe they're in there? And then looking forward to this Canada game, who do you see as being a must-starter that perhaps wasn't in uh, the starting lineup against El Salvador? So I don't know if shock would be the right word. I, I think um, Tim Marine probably raised some eyebrows when, when we saw the, the starting 11 um, and the role of Brendan Aronson, not him starting. In fact, when we talked about that triple substitution, uh, when Aronson moved into the wing, he looked a little bit better, a little bit more dangerous, uh, more comfortable at least. Um, so I don't know that it was a shock to see what the lineup was like. I think maybe we expected Brooks to sit this one out and start uh, the, this, the, the back end of this three-game window, uh, especially starting with the game against Canada. Um, so no, no, no huge surprises. Maybe a surprise that we that we didn't move away from Brendan Aronson as a central attacking midfielder or as, or as a midfielder in that midfield three earlier in that match, right? Because what was it? Five passes he completed in the first 45 minutes and started the second half uh, essentially the same way. And so maybe that was a bigger surprise than anything we saw in the starting 11. Um, and in terms of who should be in the lineup next game that wasn't in it this time, you know, I, I wonder if uh, we're going to see. Uh, Kellen Acosta, who's the only MLS-based of the nine MLS players in the squad, the only one that wasn't an MLS All-Star. And I think that sort of sums up his contribution perfectly, right? Because he's not a star player, but he's such a good role player and a guy who um, can come in and, and, and do a job, whether it's at right back where he finished the game against El Salvador or in center mid where he's much more comfortable. So I wonder if he gets to start um, alongside uh, Acosta, excuse me, alongside Tyler Adams um, and Weston McKinney. And, and I have a genuine question as to whether uh, Jordan Pifok doesn't replace uh, Josh Sargent and Jimmy, I'm, I'm curious to know yeah. who you would start between those two number nines. Or, so or here, you just go with Ricardo Pepe and, and no, and I, 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 I'd love to see. I think Ricardo Pepe is going to get some minutes. It's just uh, so we can cap time. Is that how it works? But we yeah. uh, we maybe bring him on as a super sub. I do have P folks starting. I think that Josh Sargent, though he probably will find some different space against Canada, who I think are going to try to maybe not sit as back back as much. That, that that would probably give him more opportunities and more areas to run into to help out in different ways. I think that Pifok looked a little, maybe a little bit brighter in his time. And is that fair to him when, when he gets to come in with the defenders for El Salvador are a little bit tired at 65 minutes or whatever? Probably not. But uh, at this point, we don't have time for feelings. Wilco Qualify doesn't care about your feelings, by the way. So I just want to throw that in there. My, my one ad is to take Aronson out and bring Pulisic in. I think you stay with Gio Reyna there. Those are my front three would be Pifok, Pulisic, and Reyna. Now, I have a back three. I have Turner in goal, which I think might be somewhat controversial. But I'll say with Turner in goal, he still hasn't given up a goal in the run of play in the last seven. So I think you stay with that. I got Miles Robinson, Brooks, and Ream as our back three. Destin Robinson as our wingbacks. And when you have that, you can't have two holding midfielders as well. So I think that Acosta does not start this one. I think it's Adams. And I think you go with McKinney again because he seems like a guy that if he didn't play to the level that he's capable of, he's going to make goddamn sure that he does it the next game. And, and uh, I think he takes a lot of pride. I think all these guys do, of course. But McKinney seems to wear that heart on his sleeve. 
that I'm going to be even better. I'm going to be even more influential. And maybe I don't want him pressing. You know, I don't want him trying too hard because that never all works out either. Where you just you got to find that groove and, and get going. Now, actually, and I want to bring this up to Heath. One of the comments that I thought was very interesting because we talked about it after the El Salvador game. Berhalter said that they did a terrible job of switching the point of attack, and we we brought that up that that the ball never really shifted from one side to the other. We never really made El Salvador suffer. And I think that has to change. So whoever's going to be in there, and it looks like Tyler Adams, whoever's going to be the pivot, or if we go with Acosta, whatever, whoever it is, they have to be able to switch the point of attack. And, and that falls on Tim Ream in some capacity too. I feel like his biggest asset is that he can pass. So we need to be able to switch the ball and, and not try to stuff things into the middle of the field because I thought El Salvador in particular did a nice job of sitting on those passes and making it a little bit more difficult. So Sargent always had somebody coming up right behind him uh, Aronson would get up and there'd be no space for him to even connect passes or even have any type of support. And I just think we needed to be a little bit more patient. I thought we were in a big hurry. So there are a couple of things that we need to address. And, and it's not necessarily about how good these players are. Everybody, we all know they're good. It's just a matter of like, can we settle down quickly and get and get a grip of the game? And if we lose it, because Canada will get it at some point, how quickly can we get it back? Jimmy, can I get your betting tips on this game before I uh, go over to Dre for his lineup? Prediction? Yes. So U.S. have scored in 29 of 30 home hex games. Okay, their last 30 home hex games, which is pretty crazy. The only exception was their 1-0 loss to Costa Rica in New York. I was there for that. I'm still sad. Now, we, we've referenced a couple things about Canada's performance. I just think it's going to be tight. I really do. I think the U.S. to win in under 2.5 goals plus 250 is, is a pretty good value. That's 1-0, that's 2-0. That means Canada probably won't score, per se. U.S. to win to nil, if you're feeling that instead, is plus 140. And then this is the, the one that I actually kind of like. The draw first half and then the U.S. to win the second half. Canada gave up that early goal to us in the Gold Cup. And I think there's going to be some emphasis from their coach, John Herdsman, to be like, hey, listen, whatever we do, let's not give up an early goal. Let's not play from behind you know, 88 minutes of the game. Let's let's get after it. Let's be sharp and, and stout defensively. And then once we get to, to halftime 0-0, then we can open it up and maybe play a little bit in the second half. And that's where I think the U.S., who scored late in all of their knockout round games in the Gold Cup, I think that, and also in the Nations League, that's where I think we're going to sing them. That's plus 330. So draw first half, U.S. to win the second half, plus 330. That's probably my favorite, maybe because it has the best value, but that's what I'm looking at. Dre, you mentioned uh, looking at Kellen Acosta in the midfield there, and I, I, I get stuck reacting to the last game of saying, man, we could have more coverage there. It gives us actually a little bit more attack, but... You know, we'd love to get your lineup for for a home game. Um, and are you playing black back three, back four here? Well, what are you looking at for your predicted lineup? You know, or, like, or even what you want to see. Okay, when, when like Jimmy and I, when we spoke last week, I think we both agreed that based on the the squad that had been called up, it looked like they would play with a three man back line. And then against El Salvador, it was four. Um, I think it's going to stay with four. It's just sort of my my guess. Um, and I can give you my team. I think there could be as many as six changes to the eleven um, for the game against Canada. Right, and I think. Um, Anthony Robinson probably starts. So you have a, a natural uh, left back. Um, Serginho Dest gets another opportunity, but at his, at his preferred position on the right, my dog Sox is just joining the podcast. Um, that is his back four? So it's, yeah, uh, back four, I would say uh, Dest, Robinson would keep his spot. Brooks comes into the side and Anthony Robinson. I'd probably keep Turner there um, as well because <laughs> it's, I'd probably keep Turner there as well because um, as you said, he hasn't given up a goal from the run of play. He's conceded once. This was the first time that Turner started a match and didn't win it for the United States. Um, and so it's it's kind of a hard sell uh, to bring Zach Steffen in uh, and bench a guy who's played well and wasn't really tested in this game. Uh, I, I have a question whether it would be Acosta or Leggett who would come into the midfield. So let me just give you the team first, and then I guess I'll make some comments. Uh, Turner, Dest, Robinson, Brooks, and Robinson in your defense. Adams, McKinney, and let's say Leggett. Uh, and then Pulisic, Pifok, and Reina up top. It would be six changes from, from the side that started against um, El Salvador. I think Pulisic is a no-brainer if he can go. I think the reason he stayed as opposed to traveling with the team uh, for moral support or whatever is, is to just get rested and get ready for this match. Um, and then, yeah, it's a question whether uh, Sebastian Lejet, who's been a very useful player for, for Greg Berhalter, especially in the course of 2021, where he's played practically everything and scored quite a few goals, or Kellen Acosta gives you a little bit more solidity uh, in the midfield there. But, I think I'm fairly confident in the back four, and I think you probably get the best out of Dest on the right and Robinson on the left. Okay, real quick from each of you, predictions for this game. I will say 1-0 U.S. I'll say 2-1 U.S., and they'll come from behind. 
Ooh, I like mm. that. That's bold. I like well, that, Dre. Well, Dre Cadero, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. As we come back, we'll be welcoming a very special guest, Wiesel Vasquez, to talk about Mexico, the only team that can boast a perfect start to CONCACAF World Cup qualifying. Dre, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights on this one. Hey, always a blast, guys. Thanks Dre, so much. Dre, 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 yeah. Dre, Dre. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Riso Vasquez, what's going on, man? Thanks for hey, joining. Hey, I'm ready to go. I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I heard uh, one team is perfect. I heard it's Mexico. That's, yeah. that's like the only thing I heard of after that segment. So perfect I was like, on perfect on points, you know. Oh, okay. On, on just on on the standings, you know. Just want to make sure. Still, I, I, I'm, and I'm, we're gonna get into this. I would love to get your 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 rooms your room for improvement for the for the FMS side. <laughs> a lot. Uh, but certainly perfect on points uh, after playing. Uh, in front of an empty in, in empty stadium, no fans uh, at the Azteca against a sort of makeshift Jamaica squad. Yeah, yes. what, what were your takeaways from from that match overall? Obviously, it was a mix of of the Olympicos and 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 what I would consider the A squad. Uh, clearly, looking to rotate some some players as well. What were your What were your takeaways from that game? All right. So you know when you need Henry Martin to score in the 89th minute to secure a win. You know, it's a, it's a little nerve-wracking, right? But there's definitely two sides of, of El Trina, and, and hopefully fans can see that, not necessarily by the nationalism of the of, of the of the press in Mexico and everyone just kind of freaking out because we couldn't beat this this very you know different Jamaica, obviously all the players that were missing. So there's definitely two sides. One, we should be able to beat this team, no problem. Two, everyone understands you guys have been talking about it, right? It's qualifying. All you need to do is get that win, especially mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. home. Win at home. Hashtag win at home. Um, so there's times to the fans are freaking out because it wasn't an easy win. But then we just kind of have to relax. We have to look at that match and see that Mexico had 70% of possession. Mexico had 27 shots, it, nine shots on goal. Jamaica had one, and it went in. You know, we have to go. If, if you look at any of the teams in CONCACAF and, and you give them all the stats and you give the score, everybody will raise their hand and say they'll take it. Look at what's going on with Canada. You guys talking about somebody that really should be worrying about those points dropped because then they go against the mighty U.S., right? The kings of CONCACAF <laughs> right now that you guys are selling that. We'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah, you're, you're, you're selling Say it again. Great. Say it again for the people in the back. Say it again for the people in the something that the U.S. and MLS does is marketing. And already after two games, you're already the kings of CONCACAF, <laughs> even though it's been like 10 years that there hasn't even been in there. But you know what? You're perfect at that. You'll, you'll give it that. I mean, it's we'll how take it. it. Uh, but we we still actually want to ask you about the lineup. Yeah. And and man, I got a couple questions for you. I guess uh, let's just start with the lineup. Funes Mori, do you think he's the the guy going forward for the team? Do you even start him in this upcoming game? Because it's it seems like at times when I watch him play, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> like he doesn't, he just doesn't necessarily fit as much as the success he's had at Monterey, and he, we know he can score goals. But but I don't know if if he's the right fit, and I know that Raúl Jiménez is hurt, yeah, and course. he might not ever find his form. And Chicharito, Carlos Vela are never getting called back in. But yeah. but but do you start with a Vega? Do you start with a, a Martín instead here? 
to maybe maybe change things up a little bit? Or do you do you think that Funes Mori is the guy? There's there's two different things. What will Tata do and what the fans want are completely different, <laughs> right? Because I think Tata Martino will continue to stick with Funes Mori, even though Henry Martin went in there and did score. But Funes Mori was there. Tata Martino did something different that he hasn't done before. He switched up to two fo- two uh, two number nines at the end of the game, hmm. and it worked. Something that I was like, wow, at the sideline, seeing there's two nines right now working, and it, and it worked. But he's still stuck with Funes Mori. He didn't take him out of the game, and Henry mm-hmm. Martin went in there. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, Tata Martino is stubborn. He'll stick with his with Funes Mori because he is a very talented player. We've seen what he's done in Monterrey, historic player in Monterrey, mm-hmm. and uh, he, at times that could have been an amazing assist. That could have given to Piojo Alvarado and it would have gone in and uh, it would have been 2-0 right there. So Funes Mori, you're, there is one thing is not like the other. And I think you, you hit it on perfectly, Jimmy. But there is something going on with this L3 that everybody is kind of like not giving their 100%. Look at the Catito in the Gold Cup, a player that is, is, is amazing on the field and can go over pillars. Didn't really have the greatest Gold Cup, right? So we're starting to see that most of the players, there's something going on in there. If it's confidence, if it's if it's looking ahead of the mm-hmm. pressure that Mexico has during these qualifiers. And I think that that's the biggest picture that Tata has, hasn't gotten everyone to play at a hundred percent. And I can give you that reason injuries galore. If we're looking at the lineup, right. Of what, ha- what the players that came on in Jamaica, that was six Olympicos. You said it, Heath, right. And at the same time, if you're looking at the lineup, there should probably be seven players that could be in the starting 11. And I can, you know, you can go through them. Tecatito, Chucky, Raul Jimenez, Herrera, right? Um, you have Johan Vasquez who just went to, to Europe. Imagine if we told the U.S. seven of your starting players are not going to play in the qualifiers and you get a win, you'll take it. So so why do people want Tata Martino out so bad then? Because they know that injuries, they know that he's dominating in possession and shots, even against the U.S. in both finals. They were in control mm-hmm. of good portions yeah. of those games. But yet... The fans still don't seem satisfied. They almost seem like Arsenal fans to me. I'm just gonna say it. Lisa. Like, oh, like man. you were just it, nothing, Whoa. nothing. You can't I don't never, think we're there yet. You're getting close because I feel like it's the true. fans are never happy with, with whatever's happening on the field. I'm like, man, that's that's a Results. slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. And and we so can I add one thing on that? You mentioned all the shots that the team had, and then it took Henry Martin to the very end to score. Yeah. That's sort of the point, right? Like you, yeah. you still got the goal. And and I think exactly. a lot of the chatter was like, well, old Mexico wouldn't have ever finished that. They would have had all this attacking prowess. They would have had those Wait, seven players what, on the what field. What old Mexico? Old Mexico tied against Jamaica in 2013 and then you but that's know, my point. Qualify. They, they were saying that old Mexico would have had all those chances and not scored oh, in the 89th minute. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, would yeah, not have had that, that finishing. You would have had those seven players on the field, like you said, and perhaps they don't get the result because you have all your stars and it just exactly. doesn't fall into place. But this one... Yeah, you dominated. Yeah, it could have been nine one or nine, you know, nine zero potentially if they didn't even get that one shot. But they still got that goal in the end at home to get the three points, and you can build on that. Yeah, no, and, and that's exactly what it is. It when you're saying it, Jimmy, you know, why the fans want already that out? Two reasons: lost to the U.S. Mm-hmm. That's it. it. You lost to the U.S. in a Nations League game that was crazy, where it was Guardado who has not missed a PK in such a long time, the captain going in and missing a PK. Uh, you know, Pulisic doing. It was just a perfect perfect way for, for the U.S. to just get that step ahead. And then came a Gold Cup where at the very beginning of the Gold Cup, Chucky Lozano has an injury. All players are scared because what what happens during that Gold Cup? They don't go to the qualifiers. Tata Martino's watching to see they're not playing their full 100. And, you know, the P-chan here, and there are so many things outside of it, come the, come the game against MLS team. And the psychology, something that Mexico and you guys played in the 2000s, you knew in your head you can beat Mexico, maybe not on the field. And then sometimes it did happen on the field because of it. Mm-hmm. it, it, it it's now bringing that. And I, I wrote about that where the psychology of the game is very, very important when Mexico players play against the U.S. Once they get in your head, once you're up 1-0, it's over. The Dos Acero was, was a perfect example of that. And I start. I started to see that this summer with players thinking that uh, yeah, there's something going on around you know their heads where Mexico scores in the very first minute in in the Nations League, and then oh, we're good. So we said what I don't understand is that I hope there are some sensible takes that are happening over in Mexico because the U.S. only beat Mexico on set pieces, yep. and you yep. missed that penalty. And and I guess I'm really just thinking if Tata Martino isn't the coach. 
Who do you think is out no. there that's going to do any better than that guy? No, you, you said it. I think the results matter, right? You know, the U.S. credit, you won. And then obviously the Gold Cup won. Um, but we have to look at how that it wasn't the it wasn't like the U.S. dominated. And that's what I'm trying to tell everybody. It wasn't uh, that Mexico has has been has been dominated completely. It just sometimes happens that it, it, luck happens and it's happened to be on the U S side, which Mexico, you know, if we're looking at it, many games go that way too, when you're looking at that. But when you say fire, that's that, who are you going to bring? Especially mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in this, we call up Aguirre once again to save us, <laughs> you know, Piojo, we come back. There isn't anyone that, that could come in of the, you know, the regurgitation of coaches that are happening in Liga Mekis, not a single person that's there. Hugo Sanchez, if you guys remember him back in the 2000s, yeah, yeah. there's no one. There's no one that's going to come in, and there's no one that knows the team or could come in into the qualifiers and say, yeah, we'll, we'll go through it. Um, so, no, I don't. I think that just stays. Um, but it could – if we would have lost, yes, uh, you know, on, on, on Thursday, and then Costa Rica comes in, the pressure comes in playing in Costa Rica, and then Panama, and you have zero points, one point – that's when the pressure sure, will sure. start. Yeah, but so yeah, yeah, they did. Sorry. Yeah, so let's let's talk. Uh, let's talk about this Costa Rica versus yeah. Mexico match. Obviously, Tata Martino is apparently not traveling for this. No, uh, with with an eye problem. Yes, he had eye surgery on Friday, which uh, on Thursday at the beginning of the day they, they said you know that it, that uh, he was having some some issues, had successful eye surgery, and uh, so no, he's staying. He's staying. It's going to have to do the old phone walkie-talkie or or however it is through a connection. I'm pretty sure it's, it's cell phone now, but uh, but yeah. Um, and there's that's that's another reason you know when you're looking at this game when you don't have your your coach on the sideline to figure out what's going on and uh, make changes you know on time. It's 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 going to be a tough game, and it's Costa Rica. Yeah, we, we get so obsessed uh, in the U.S. around uh, the squad you put out for away games versus home games, and we can debate it all day, and I'm sure it's the same on the Mexico side. You're now playing in Costa Rica, right? Yeah. Costa Rica, they're an, they're, they're an aging nation, but they're playing at home, right? Who We saw sure. Costa Rica somehow uh, got, got, got lucky the other, the other day, but they're at home now. Uh, what kind of lineup do you expect to roll out for this? Is it a defensive-minded one? Does it differ when it's no. home and away for Mexico, or, or, or what do you what do you see come happening? It's, here? it's not necessarily a home and away type of type of scenario. It's the fact that there are three games in this qualifying, you know, in, in this in this first round. And if you know, everyone's talking this is a, this is brand new for everybody. It isn't actually Mexico uh, in 2013. The very you know the when we call it Tritanic started with three games right off the bat and. Uh, if you're looking back at what happened, it, it, the coaching is saying that it, it took a lot because you had to change players, the rotaciones. You had to, you had to use them. So, uh, but I think Tata Martino circled this game, saying this is who we're gonna go because we need this win. This is a win that it's attainable because of the aging Costa Rica, and this is a team where we can take away three points at somebody at home. Um, and that's why Tecatito didn't start. You know, when we're looking at it, I think Guardado, you know, you, you have Jonathan Dos Santos that's going to be in the mid, the middle. There's some there's some, some questions in the back line. Also, Gallardo starting was a question at the beginning in Jamaica. I think he's going to make six, seven changes. You know, there there's there's a lot that was happening in that first one. And that's where I kind of go after leaving the rainy Stadio Azteca. Uh, even though I was like, wow, we needed one, we needed Henry Martin to score to win the game. I look back and actually watch the game again and I see, hey, you know, with, with seven subs in there from the Olympicos coming in and scattered in there, Mexico got a result in the first qualifier. You know, it's, it's a positive. So now we're going to see Mexico, I think, going forward. I think they're going to want to get the win. I think they're going to want to make sure they score early, something that Tata Martino's team don't do and uh, and get in there. Because this is an aging Costa Rica, it's not going to be a full stadium. I, I think the capacities are only like four or five thousand fans. That uh, uh, as far as tickets that have been sold, but also Mexico does well in Costa Rica. Aside from 2013, even in the, between the 2010 runs, they do well. It's it's not like uh, an environment like Honduras. It's not like the Cuscatlan for the U.S. So although it is away. Uh, there are some advantages for Mexico, and uh, we'll see. We'll, I mean, we'll see what happens because it's it's Concacaf qualifying. Yeah, I'm gonna hop. I'm gonna hop in here really quick because that's from the Mexican perspective, and I agree. I think they are gonna get a result uh, in in Costa Rica, but the Ticos haven't played particularly well. They got a zero zero draw yeah. in Panama. They got outshot eighteen to four. Yeah, they had forty four percent possession, thirty eight percent in the second half. They weren't really trying to go make the game. They were just hoping Keylor Navas could st stand on his head and make saves, and that's exactly pretty much what happened. So that gives me a little fear because they have not scored in their last three games overall. The last two have been 0-0. Zero, zero. 
And and yes, okay, they might be tough to break down, but Mexico are one of the best in in this region in particular of figuring out how to break teams down. And yes, I know they struggled a little bit with Jamaica, but they have the talent. And when you start to add a little bit of that experience to start in this one with Guardado and Dos Santos, I think you have some players that are like, yeah, here we go again, playing away from home in a World Cup qualifier, and they're going to put everybody back behind the ball with an incredible goalkeeper. We're just going to have to figure out a way uh, to make it happen. So, yeah, I mean, I'll just get into my bets, actually, with everybody with regard to this game. I've never done this before, but it's an accumulation bet and it's who wins Ooh. each half. So, so I'm just trying to decide if, if I have, excuse me, I got to find my notes here. Cause it's just like, uh, okay, I, okay. I got my notes ready. Cause so, I so, so guess. if it's a draw in the first half and Mexico win the second half, it's plus three seventy. Okay. Ooh, I if, like that. If, Me- if Mexico win the first half and draw the second half, it's plus four ninety. If you have Mexico winning both halves, it's plus 470. So you could actually put 10 bucks on each one of those and still come out a winner if you think Mexico are going to win this game because you have every single iteration covered. So I like that one a lot. Uh, Mexico to win with a clean sheet is plus 200. That's an odds boost on the Caesar Sportsbook. I like that one a lot because the fact that the Ticos haven't scored in three games, and yes, Mexico does have a tendency at times to only give up one shot, and that one shot happens to be a goal. Yeah. I just think that they're going to lock things down a little bit differently after having a, a bit of a scare against Jamaica. I like it. I, I'm, I'm jotting down. With, with with bets, I feel like if you go to draw on these CONCACAF qualifiers, you're going to be good because you never know what happens. Right, right. right? Draw is a good, good bet. <laughs> it is, it is. For me, this one, I have a draw in the El Salvador-Honduras game, and I'm going to get into a parlay parte with everybody because I have – uh, I think that's going to be a draw. Both teams are pretty even. El Salvador has another home game. They're going to want to get something behind Honduras. I thought we're very, very stout defensively and showed a little something against Canada. I like a draw on that one. If you have Jamaica winning at home, we can get into them a little bit, but they're welcoming, welcoming back Mikel Antonio and a couple other players from England that can play in this one. I think they're probably going to get a little sense of belief and confidence from almost getting a result against Mexico in Mexico City. So I think they're going to be ready to go. And they know Jamaica has to know that they have to win all of their home games. Like there's going to be a a different type of urgency, I think, from them in this one. So I like them to win that game. And and then uh, I like the U.S. and Mexico both to win. If you have Jamaica winning, U.S. and Mexico winning and the draw between El Salvador and Honduras, that's plus twelve hundred. So that's my parlay parte, as I say. La Fiesta Parliesta, Viso. That's what I like to say. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Let's move on quickly to the Jamaica versus Panama game. Obviously, uh, I, haven't, I haven't been able to see how many players are back in for this one. It's a home game for Jamaica. I think they do have access to some more of their players. Uh, have either of you guys sort of read up on these or, or have, any, have any thoughts or takes against this? Obviously, Panama dominated Costa Rica. Uh, at home and were only to, able to escape uh, or got out of it with a 0-0 draw, which I think is unfortunate for them to to give up points in a game that they were clearly dominant in. Jimmy, what's your take on this Jamaica versus Panama game? Well, as I mentioned, Leon Bailey or uh, Mikel Antonio will be back, one of the hottest players in the Premier League for West Ham right now. Leon Bailey, who's now made the move from Bayer Leverkusen to Aston Villa, will be back. Derby County's Ravel Morrison. All three of those players are expected mm-hmm. to be available for this one after not being allowed to travel to Mexico. The last time these two teams met was uh, the 2019 Gold Cup quarterfinals, and Jamaica won that one 1-0 on a penalty by Darren Maddox. How's that for a throwback name? So I just get the sense that even though Panama have not lost to Jamaica in World Cup qualifying ever with three wins and three draws, I just think with these three additional players playing for Jamaica, it, it makes them so much more dangerous. And if they really want to – I mean, they had this – I guess the Jamaican Federation had to figure out a way like, hey, if you guys, if you three guys make it, this is your best chance to play in a World Cup. And I just don't think Mikel Antonio and, and the other guys that are coming, uh, Ravel Morrison and, and Leon Bailey are going to be dragging ass. You know what I mean? Like they're going to want to play in a World Cup. And I think they have they know they have to win their home games. I think there's just going to be a different type of hunger for Jamaica and the reggae boys to get a result with all due respect to Panama, who I thought were very good against Costa Rica, but I, I have Jamaica winning this one and they're, they're the heavy favorites uh, on the sports books. We, we, so I, I saw in the, in the, the Mexico game against Jamaica, they were sitting back so deep at times, mm-hmm. almost in their own box. And it just seems like a recipe for disaster. You're obviously playing against Mexico. You don't have your best side. Do you think adding these three players makes a huge difference in the oh, grand of context of qualifying? Of course, with the name of Leon Bailey, look at the players that are coming in. These are players that are playing in good leagues and doing well in good leagues. Yeah, anytime that you have that type of player up, up, you know, you're gonna, you're it's gonna help you. And mm-hmm. 
At the same time, even having those players there, I, I still think they could have they, they would have stayed back just because it's Mexico. They're trying to get you know that tie, and everybody wants that is one point. But at the same time, for this for this game, you know, it's going to be hard for Panama. Panama, although did good, they were at home. They were supposed to win. You know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. so it's you you Panama has some pressure now because they lose against Jamaica. Now you only have one point, right? So it's uh so I think it's going to be very interesting game, and I think. Uh, although I'm going also with with um, with Jamaica, it, it again anything could happen. Those players not playing, you know, traveling, getting in, and it's also Jamaica. You know, it's 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 quick with these three games. Um, I feel like these players are not going to really fully go 100 because they have something to worry about if it's travel or if it's another game. So um, I think it's going to be a tight game, but I think Jamaica squeezes out and the Reggae Boys have four points, and Panama now is looking with one point in two games and now looking at the next game. Jimmy, El Salvador versus Honduras, mm-hmm. uh, which is at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Paramount+. Plus. And uh, a number of these games are on Paramount+, Plus, so make sure you have your notifications on to know when these games kick off. Jimmy, Honduras was a team we saw in Nations League could have beat the U.S. in the semifinal. That's right. Right? We've yep. seen them continue to have this fighting spirit, and we criticize them because they haven't had that turnover of what's the next generation, similar to Costa Rica, what's the next generation of players that are going to step up and take over, the names that we're going to know about for years on end, we've still got Maynard Figueroa, who uh, all respect to him is 38, 39 years old, playing <laughs> as a center back in World Cup qualifying. You don't necessarily want that. It's a great story, but you want that next generation of players to step up and play at the international level. They went to Canada, took the took two points away from uh, or, or stole a, a point away from them on the road, and they could have gotten more. They they just look like they're willing to say, Hey, we are going to make it extremely hard for you. Uh, for 90 minutes, and you're going to have to earn something against us. We're going to fight. We're going to scrap. Mm-hmm, we're not going to mm-hmm. make it easy. And similar with with El Salvador, they have that fighting spirit, which I think is hard to to to, to bet against. Who do you have in this one? I, as I mentioned in my parlay parte, I probably got a little ahead of myself there. I just feel like El Salvador, who are going through their first qualifying phase, the, the final phase that is since 2010. Their fans know that this is important. This first week, they got an important point against the u.s they maybe feel like they may deserved a little bit more you know they created seven chances and five of them were off set pieces so i think if honduras is going to lock down anything on that side of things it's got to be on set pieces and honduras i think historically are pretty good on set pieces so as long as they can maintain that emphasis i think they're going to be fine what i find interesting when i looked at the deeper stats if you're into expected goals and xg and all that stuff for all you stat geeks out there canada had 1.7 and honduras had 0.6 so it wasn't like they were absolutely crushing Canada uh, in every way. But as we know, the stats kind of go out the window. It's just who makes the plays yeah. when it matters. And I think Honduras did more than enough of that. I thought they made it pretty difficult for, for Canada. And I expect it to be the same for El Salvador. This is a game, I think, that Honduras looks at and goes, I think we can beat these guys. This, this is a three points that we can steal away from home. They are unlucky, Honduras. They had to play their first two away from home before they finally get a home game out of these first three. So if they left it with a draw, I think they would be okay with that as well. And El Salvador is looking at this going like, man, we need the three points against Honduras. Of any team that we can look at that's above us, this team's aging, as you mentioned, Heath, and, and so is Costa Rica. Maybe we can steal points against those particular teams. And you know the home team, the, the home fans, excuse me, are going to be super hyped for this one. That said, I see a draw on the cards. I don't think they're going to be – there's going to – as we just said earlier, CONCACAF and draws kind of go hand in hand. I think this is the game where there is the draw, and that's why I think that the, that up the value of my parlay. So – I, it's tough. You could build a narrative for either one, maybe sneaking out three points, but I like the draw. We so Jimmy talked about Honduras playing both their first two games away. El Salvador, yeah. the only team to play their first two games exactly. at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This would be a huge uh, failure if they left home with only two points. Do you think that they can pull off a win in this one, or, or are you looking at a draw as well? No, I think they can. And I and looking at it, it's because of playing at home and because Honduras had to go to Canada and then come back, right, in a span of three days, the favor, I, I think, you know, and even though El Salvador just started, you like you said, right, with, you know, a coach three months ago, they're pumped up what they did against the U.S. They are ready to go. Their fans are probably already lining up. to, Or probably, you know, the entrance of the stadium is already open. I mean, it is ready to go. And if you're <laughs> looking at a hostile environment, I think it's even worse against Honduras because of the rivalry of the Central American rivalry that's going to be there. Um, I was there at the Gold Cup. I'm sure it's not the same, 100%. But even in the Cotton Bowl, when that um, national anthem in Salvador, and I walked in there to that stadium, it, I mean, 
the fans are one of the best fans, uh, you know, in, in, in all of CONCACAF because no matter what, even though Mexico was dominating the whole game, they kept going and going and going. And uh, that's what's going to happen. I, I have El Salvador uh, winning. I think that, yeah, the draw is a safe bet, um, you know, if I had to bet. But I feel because Honduras has traveled, El Salvador is at home. They have to win this game. They're going to go all out. They're not going to want the tie and and try to score. And I think they squeeze one in. I think, you know, either 0-0 or 1-0. Um, but just like Jimmy said, you can make a case. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Honduras goes in there and finally shows what uh, what they're made of. And uh, they're like, we already know this atmosphere. We're here. We're cool. And uh, we know this because we've done this before in the World Cup qualifying. So, um, but I'll, I'll do a little differently and, and, and take the El Salvador win. And they have now four points. In, uh, in in two games for uh, for El Salvador. Oh, I like that. Jimmy, give me your closing thoughts on the upcoming matches. Uh, these are really pivotal games, right? I think that it's going to change the conversation for every single country heading into the last match day of this, this eight-day window for all these games. I'm excited to see, obviously, from a U.S. perspective, how we, I say bounce back, but how we adjust our tactics and how we adjust to having a little bit more fluidity in our attack and... That is a big point point of emphasis for me. I think defensively, we've got it pretty locked down. We have three consecutive 1-0 wins uh, at home. Uh, that's in the Gold Cup knockout rounds. Those are obviously very important games. We have, a, we have we could argue, a better team with the Nations League players. So there's a lot I'm looking at from a U.S. perspective, of course. But I think there's a strong narrative. And, and you know, Tata Martino's, you know, ass could be on the line if, if uh, yeah. El Kulu could be on the line if, if – uh, you know, he doesn't get the job done and, and doesn't get a result or doesn't play the way that the Mexican fans want. So there's so much to unpack here, but you got to go out there and play. And then obviously we're going to dissect all of it after the 90 minutes are done. We saw your final thoughts on uh, hopefully uh, Mexico for this one. Yeah. The, the thing is that after every match, everyone feels completely different because of the results. So <laughs> I've, uh, you know, Mexico winning and we're oh, okay. We're scary, but we got the win. We get a tie. Okay, now we're scaring. But if we win, it's it. We're you know we're told fans are just so reactive. So what's happening? So Mexico squeezes another win. That's six points, and people are gonna be like, all right, we got six points. Like I, you know, I said we were we're around that six points, maybe seven for the three. Uh, Mexico's got to be very careful because things can go bad very quickly. Not because the the team is doing bad, because of the pressure. And we've seen that what's happened with with Chepo de Toro in 2013, and as having one of the greatest, you know, pre qualifying to the hex uh, that that Mexico has had three games going down, not winning in the Azteca, then a loss in the Azteca against Honduras, and then it's over, right? And then all of a sudden, Piojo comes in, and it's one of the best teams that played in a World Cup. That's the difference in, in Mexico where you could have a great team, but the pressure starts setting in and the mindset of the players and they're going to start performing. That being said, I think there's going to be – Mexico can win, uh, win in the next two games, either a draw or win. I think either Panama or Costa Rica, if there's a tie, there's a win, win, there's a tie. So good for that. But in all of CONCACAF, just like Jimmy and you guys were saying, you know, it is crazy. And this is what I – like we're here now, right? But we're looking at this World Cup qualifying is here, and I feel like – you know, after every game, everyone has a different reaction depending on the result. Well said. You think you're nervous for points. You should try not qualifying for a World Cup and then see what that <laughs> nervousness for points are, are, are like. But I get it. Yeah. Um, but everyone, listen, that's it from us. Thank you so much for watching and or listening. Follow the K Golasso podcast on Twitter at K Golasso pod. Subscribe to the K Golasso page on YouTube and hit the notification bell. And of course, subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcasts. We will be back on Sunday with a live YouTube recap of all four games. So make sure you are there. Thank you, Issa, for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. Let's go. Thank you, Jimmy Conrad. Always a pleasure. Let's go, USA. We are out. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.